Well, hello. My name is Penny, and I am the pastor here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. And it is good. Uh, I'm glad that we can offer this uh, virtual worship service. Uh, though we are apart, though we are uh, distant, it is uh, good that we can still join around God's word to sing our songs, to pray our prayers, and to know that our God, our God in his word uh, is powerful and is not bound by time or space, but, but God's word goes forth. And the portion of God's word we're going to be looking at today is the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you're joining us maybe for the first time, you're tuning in for the first week, uh, we have been going through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And the book of 1 Samuel is a book that details the, the arrival of the king. It tells us the circumstances that surrounded Israel asking, requesting of a king, and how King Saul rose up. But we know from the past weeks that we have been in this book that Saul has sinned against the Lord. He has rejected God's ways and he has turned away from him. And because of that, the Lord has rejected him. And the Lord has decided to replace Saul with a new king. And so last week, in the beginning of chapter 16, God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And there in that house, Samuel would find the son that God had set apart. And Samuel was to anoint him king. And so that's exactly what Samuel did. He went to the house of Jesse, and there God spoke to Samuel and said that he is to anoint David, the youngest, the smallest of Jesse's sons. He is to anoint him the new king. And so we're entering in this, into this kind of in-between time now, where we have David, who is the anointed new king, and yet we still have Saul, the king, who is on the throne. We're in this in-between time. It's kind of like after a presidential election, in November we elect a new president, and, and that new president is president-elect, but for a few months there is still a president in the Oval Office, a different president. And we know that for those few months that president in the Oval Office still has authority, is still the president of the United States, is still the one who is called to lead, but, but we also know that his time there is short, that there's another one waiting, that there is another one preparing, that a few months after the election on January 20th, there will be a new president. And that's kind of the time we're in right now in 1 Samuel, this in-between time where David has been anointed the king, the next king, but Saul is still the king, and so David awaits his inauguration. And while he waits, what we're going to see in our passage today is evidence of Saul's rejection. But also we're going to see that David, even early on, is an instrument of God's mercy. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to begin in verse 13 so that we can get the context and we can set up well the, the contrast between David and Saul. Beginning in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. 
and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask now that as we come to it that you would lead us into your truth. Father, we are in need of your help. We need you to help us so that our minds can focus on your truth, so that our hearts can cling to your love, so, Father, that we can put aside our burdens and our cares and we can know your grace. We need your help, and so we ask for it, and ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would please you. For you are God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the evidence of Saul's rejection is immediate. We see it as soon as we begin reading this passage, and it is contrasted with what has happened to David. So David is anointed by Samuel. We read this last week. He's anointed with oil. He's going to be the next king. And once he is anointed, the Spirit of God rushes upon him. But in verse 14, just as the Spirit rushes upon David, we read that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now I have to tell you, when I was a young Christian... When I was first uh, learning the truths of the Bible, and it was probably my junior or senior year of college, I had only been a Christian for a few months, but, but I had been reading throughout the New Testament about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit fills believers and changes us and makes us new creations and how, how we are, the Spirit uh, stays with us and will never leave us or forsake us. I, I read these beautiful truths, but then I remember reading this passage. And this passage filled me with great consternation because I read the king of Israel, the spirit had departed from him. And so, so I was confused and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with it. Maybe, maybe today, right now, as we've read that passage, you're starting to think that yourself. Like, like how are we supposed to understand what we know is true about the spirit, what is told us in the New Testament that we are sealed with the Spirit, that he is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. And yet, he departs from Saul. 
It'd be easy for us to apply the understanding of what we have in the New Testament in regards to its teaching on the Holy Spirit to apply that to what's occurring here. But don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Because 1 Samuel 16 isn't talking about our eternal state. 1 Samuel 16 isn't asking the question about salvation. That's another question. That's a good question. It's something that we can talk about another time. But, but what 1 Samuel 16 is focused on is the kingship. And by the spirit departing from Saul, it's not talking about salvation at all. It's talking about the rejection of God. That Saul has been rejected as the king. It's not instructing us concerning the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. It's telling us that Saul is no longer God's king. He is no longer the one who is going to lead Israel. He is no longer the one who has favor with God. What's interesting is that this is the only time in the Old Testament where we have an explicit declaration that the Spirit has departed from someone. And so it is a clear rejection of his kingship. It's evidence that Saul's kingship has been rejected. But in place of the spirit of the Lord, the Lord continues to show his evidence of rejecting by giving Saul a harmful spirit. A spirit that torments him or terrifies him. That's another way that we can understand that word torment. And there are ways that people have tried to understand this tormenting spirit. Some have thought that that it wasn't a spirit at all, that it's simply the ancient Near East attempt to, to understand a psychological condition that had fallen upon Saul. It's not, not a great way to understand it. Another way of trying to understand it is that God is vindictive, that it pits the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New, but But that, too, is not a good way of understanding, for the Lord doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. God cannot be uh, the God of the old and the God of the new is the same God. Some have said that this is some sort of demonic spirit sent by God, but, but we know from other places in Scripture that God does not tempt us toward evil because he is not evil. There are a whole host of other ways to try to understand it. But the best way to understand what this spirit, the purpose of this spirit, is to see that this too, just as the spirit of God departing from Saul was evidence of the rejection of God, so too the importing of this spirit upon Saul is a reflection of God's judgment. His judgment on Saul because of Saul's sin. You see, terror falls on Saul and it's evident that God's favor is no longer on him. In evidence that is apparent not only to Saul, but even to his servants. For his servants see it, and they say in verse 15, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. It's something that is evident to all. So what do you think Saul should do? What do you think his servants should advise him to do? I mean, you would think that Saul, having heard in the chapter before that he had sinned and that God had rejected him and that the kingdom had been torn from him, and when he experiences this torment and rightly deduces that it's from the Lord, you would think he'd repent, right? I mean, that would make sense. 
that he would fall before the Lord. He would fall on his knees prostrate before the Lord and he would say, I have sinned, forgive me, be gracious to me. That's not what he does. No, he listens to the advice of his servants and what do they say to him? Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. There's no repentance. There's no confession. It's not what Saul pursues. He seek to simply soothe him, but not to deal with the real problem, his own sin. His rejecting of God and subsequently God's rejection of him. See, all of this is pointing to the fact that that Saul is no longer the Lord's king. Well, this advice of the servants, it sounds good to Saul. And so he sends for the one that they're talking about. And in an incredible turn, an incredible piece of irony, this new and future king is called into the presence of the current king. And when he comes, we see in the midst of Saul's rejection... That though Saul, the old king, is being rejected, David, the new king, is going to be an instrument of mercy. So the, the story picks up. Let's pick up again. Saul informs, he sends word to Jesse that he wishes David to come to court. So I want you to put yourself in David's shoes now. I want you to think about this. You've been out in the field. You've been tending the flock. And Jesse comes and says, hey, good news. Saul, the king, wants you to come. And so what starts going through your mind, right? The current king, you've just been anointed, but the current king wants you to come. I could imagine. Now, we're not told, so we have to use our sanctified imaginations, and that's okay in narrative. We're supposed to do that. I could imagine that David, when he hears that he's summoned to Saul, that that he starts thinking, "Well, well, maybe Saul found out about the anointing. Maybe he's kind of pieced it all together. Maybe he summoned me to put me to death, right? I mean, it's not very hard to think that maybe anxiety is starting to stir in David's heart. It's not hard for us to imagine it because this is what happens to us when we get a call from a friend and our friend who loves us and cares about us and we love and care about them says, I need to talk to you. Right? What, what happens? We start getting all worried. Is he going to call me out? Did I do something? Is he angry? Is he mad? Or, you know, is our friendship over? We start, we start playing through all these crazy ideas in our head, right? And, and this is our friend. So we could imagine what David might be like when this, the king whom he is replacing summons him. Right? Maybe he's trying to figure out a way to get out of it. I don't feel too good. You know, Dad, you know, I got a stomachache, right? Kids, like, on those days when you have a big test, right, you wake up in the morning and you tell your mom, I, I just think, just, just let the teacher know, sign my note, you know, doctor's note, I can't make it today, right? May, may, you know, I'm not feeling good, or, or you know, Jesse, I've got to keep the sheep. I got to keep, none of the other brothers want to keep the sheep, and the last time Eliab, the eldest, kept the sheep, like the sheep got out, so I got to keep, right? He, he could have tried to make up excuses. He tried, could have tried to get his way out, but that's not what he does. No, when he's summoned, David doesn't resist. 
He doesn't come up with a reason to stay. He doesn't wriggle his way out of it. Instead, he goes to the court of the king he's replacing. And when David arrives and enters Saul's service, we're told in verse 21, Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So do you see what David did? He didn't manipulate the situation. He didn't try to abuse his position. He didn't try to make Saul's condition worse or try to turn the court against Saul. David served Saul. He served him by seeking Saul's good. Think about that. David seeks Saul's good by bringing him peace and refreshment, by acting as an instrument of mercy. When Saul is tormented, David took up his lyre and he played. And we're told that Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. David the king brought peace and well-being. This reminds me of a scene in the in Tolkien's wonderful book The Return of the King, the third book in his trilogy The Lord of the Rings. Near the end of the book, near the end of the story The Lord of the Rings, the great battle has taken place outside of the gates of the city of Gondor. And because of this battle, many people have, have fallen, fallen victim to the sword. Many people are ill. Many people are wounded. And there's this scene where there is a woman who is tending to the sick and the infirmed. And she says, she laments. Would that there were kings in Gondor as there were once upon a time, they say. For it is said in old lore, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so the rightful king could ever be known. You see, this woman, she is longing for this day when the rightful king will come and they will know that he is the rightful, the true king, because he will not just be a king who is mighty in battle, who can wield the sword, but he will be a king who brings peace and healing. And unbeknownst to this woman who laments, who speaks of these words of old, Aragorn, the king of promise, the one who came from the line of kings, he is there, he has arrived. And he shows up and he, he is going to the sick and to those who are wounded. And he whispers in his, the ears of his friends, Faramir and Aamor, and, and lays his hands on Mary. And they find health and wellness and peace. He heals them. And after he heals them, a word goes out that a great Lord is that and a healer. The healing hand should also wield the sword. You see, in Tolkien's story, the king, the true king, is not just mighty in battle. He doesn't just defeat his enemies, but he brings healing and peace. And that's what David does. You see, next week we're going to see David as the king who is the mighty warrior. But here in our passage we see the king who bestows peace. He's an ambassador of mercy. And this is beautiful, isn't it? 
I mean, this is amazing what David does. That he enters into this place that, that surely would have been anxiety-ridden. He enters into this place where, where surely his fears could have taken over. He enters into this place and he brings light and peace and mercy. It's beautiful. And what makes it all the more amazing is that David is extending this mercy and bringing this peace not, not to his friends, not like Aragorn to Faramir and to Mary, but, but to Saul. To Saul, to this one who had sinned and turned from God, who will eventually seek David's own demise. And yet here, David, the next king, reveals he's the rightful king by bringing relief and mercy and peace. So what do you think about that? I have to tell you. It would have been very easy if I were David. It would have been very easy to come up with all the reasons to seek Saul's demise and not his good. It would have been easy to try and wipe my hands clean of the situation, right? It's not hard to imagine someone doing that because, friends, that's what we do, right? I mean, those difficult relationships, maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's, it's a parent or a child or a sibling. And you have lived with them for many years or, or there has been strife for decades and, and you've just had enough and you're ready to wipe your hands. Maybe it's that person who keeps calling and every time you see their name on your phone, that person who drives you crazy, you just keep sending them to voicemail. Or maybe it's how easy we lambast that person who we think is wrong, right? I mean, it is so easy for us to, to not want to seek the good of these people, but, but at, at best to be indifferent, but at worst to hope bad on them. I mean, the good of someone, someone we don't like, someone that annoys us, someone that views the world in a completely opposite way than we do. What David does is remarkable. And what he does is exactly what Scripture calls us to do. For in Romans chapter 12, we're told that so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Jesus himself said that we are to love our enemies and to pray for them. That we are to bring, to bring blessing and peace. And that's what David did. The king, the true king, brought refreshment to Saul. He sought Saul's good. And, what, and that is exactly what the true and better king does for us. Because Jesus brought well-being and blessing to people who were his enemies. People who mocked him and even put him to his death. I mean, do you remember when Jesus was on the cross, when he was crucified, with some of his very last breaths, he was still seeking the good of the very people who killed him. Because he cried out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or friends, even think about the assurance of pardon we heard today. After we confess our sin corporately and then silently, after we acknowledge our rebellion against God, we heard these words. While we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ungodly sinners. Y'all, that is us. That is you and it is me. That when we were enemies of God, when we were in rebellion against him, Christ died for us. For even me. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who wields his sword, is also the one with healing hands who brings mercy. He brings mercy so that we would be ambassadors of that mercy. We would be ambassadors of that king. That's what the New Testament calls us. We are his ambassadors. That we would be instruments of mercy and of peace. Because, friends, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the true and better David, our king, has shown us mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you did not leave us in our sin and in our rebellion, but that you brought us out of it and you showed us grace and mercy. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for you are the one who went to your death, and by your death you brought us life. We praise you, Holy Spirit, because you indwell us, and you make us new creations, dead to sin and alive to righteousness. And so I pray that we would live today and all of our days as instruments of your mercy, as ambassadors of your peace. For you are our God, you are our King. You are the one whom we follow today and forevermore. And you are the one in whom we pray. Amen. Amen.